Night to Shine. It's an event that's going to happen in Carlsbad in a couple weeks. And it's a, it's a prom for special needs teens and adults. And what happens is all these special needs individuals, they come to this prom, and every single one of them are crowned king queen of the prom. It's really special for them. And the way AFC is part, we have that standing closet out there in a box that's full of khakis and ties and tuxedos and fluffy prom dresses. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing what you guys have done. And so that is, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what changes the world. That is an example of God's goodness, like giving us the ability to do something good for the world. That's exactly what that is. And so if you have some more dress clothes, if you have another prom dress you want to clear out, tomorrow is the deadline. The church office, which is across the parking lot, it's open from 9 to about 3.30, 3.45 tomorrow. If you can bring some of your ties, your dress clothes, your khakis, whatever, and bring it to that donation box, we're going to get those to Carlsbad this weekend so that these very special individuals can have one of the biggest nights of their lives. It's going to be an absolutely beautiful thing. And so that's, why, that's one of the many reasons why I'm so proud of this group, because this is the type of stuff that would, when we put this on our shirt that says, for the good, like this is really what's for the good when we start making um, decisions to help people like this. And this is the kind of stuff that whether you follow Jesus, whether you're Jesus-following Christian or not, most people groups in the world can agree that something like a night to shine, something like that is something that changes the world. That, that's good, and most people can agree on that. So whether you're a Jesus follower or not, thank you for being a part of that. However, the other thing that says on our shirt is Aggies for Christ, and we are still very much for Christ, and that is the message that is going to be preached on this stage week in and week out, because I believe in my heart of hearts, and I wouldn't preach it if I didn't believe it. I believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus lays out the absolute best formula for our lives, the absolute best way to have a more full life, a more joyful life, a life with more purpose and passion is to do things the way Jesus said to do them. And that is the formula for the rest of our night tonight, and that's the formula for the rest of our semester moving forward. And I honestly believe that that is not going to just help you get to heaven. It doesn't just affect your eternal life. It affects like the rest of your night tonight, the rest of your Wednesday night, the start of your Thursday morning tomorrow. Like Jesus changes everything. And I believe it has the ability to change the world and at least has the ability to change some hearts in the room tonight. And I'm, I'm just excited. Every Wednesday night when we come in here and we do the God Child Yell, I get excited that that is the possibility. That's something really the heart of what we're doing tonight moving forward. Last week, we started a sermon series called God's Story, Your Role. God's story, your role. And we said that this semester, we are going to do a character study, kind of like you would do in a literature class or an English class. We're going to do a character study on God. Now, a character study is something where you look at the attributes or the characteristics that makes a character who they are. And so this, we're going to do the character study that, on what makes God, God. What are some of his characteristics? Now, here's a problem with our generation. Here, here's a slight problem with who we are as a group. We are a buffet generation. We are a buffet generation, meaning we take what we want and we reject what we don't. Like every, every single person that has, has music in the, on their phone, Spotify, whatever it is, like it's going to play the music that we want to hear and anything else we skip or we reject or we don't download or whatever. That's how we handle our music. We do this with, uh, we do this with the ads that we see. Our, our phones and our computers are so smart that when you're scrolling on Facebook, it's going to have the specialized ads that are going to target you and your wants and your desires just perfectly because computers are creepy like that these days. And so it's going to, it's going to tell you exactly what you want to see. We pick and choose. 
Netflix knows what shows we want to watch next. It's really creepy because they get it right most of the time. Um, me and my wife, we confuse our Netflix pretty good, though, because our shows are just so incredibly opposite. Um, Netflix doesn't know if we want vampires or if we want crime dramas or whatever, sports documentaries. We confuse our Netflix, but for the most part, it gets it right. Netflix gets it right as to what we want, and so we pick and choose the shows that we want to watch, and when we want to watch them, we don't even watch commercials anymore. That's what our generation does. We are buffet individuals. We are a buffet generation. We kind of do this with the faith, too. We kind of do this with Jesus, too. It's like we're walking down the aisle, and, and, and we have all these... Put some of that on my plate. Like, yeah, forgiveness, that sounds really good. Like, oh, recognizing my sin, no thank you. You know what I mean? You push it away. Judgment, you push that away. Some of these things that we don't like to put on our plate, but it makes up exactly who God is, and it gets dangerous. And it gets dangerous with our faith because different from Netflix... Different than the things you want to buy, different from the music you want to listen to, is the thing about the Word of God, the thing about who God is, it's already been written, and it's not changing, and God's not changing based on what we like or we don't like about Him. So we don't get to pick and choose this, this God that we get to make up because the thing is, is that God's story is not changing. And he has this grand cosmic story for what he's doing in the universe, and we have the opportunity. Or... We can pick and choose what we like about God, and we can kind of follow Jesus, and we can try to make an impact, but we're not really sure if we will or not, and we can kind of make a difference. We can try and change the world, but that's just not what I see for this ministry. That's not what I see for the individuals in this room that I know. Like, I don't think that's what we're destined for. I think we're destined to be world changers and to play significant roles in this story that God is orchestrating. In this story that God is orchestrating, we have to learn about the story. We have to learn about the main character. And so we have to do a character study. And the trait we talked about, the attribute we talked about last week in regards to who God is, is we talked about God's goodness. God's goodness, and how he is, he is the epitome of good. He is the standard for good, and he gives us the ability and the capacity to then do good things, like the night to shine donations. Our ability to do good things comes straight from the character of who God is. Now, tonight's topic, tonight's topic is one of the most churchy words you've ever heard in your life. It's a word I try not to say simply because most people in the room probably don't know what it means. Even the churchy kids that were born in the pews, like, they, like most people have a hard time really defining the word that we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about a word called righteousness. Righteousness. And I think, like I've already mentioned, that this word and this character trait and this attribute of who God is, it has the ability to change the world. And I think it could change some lives in this room tonight as well. So before we dive in any deeper into righteousness and what righteousness means for us, um, let's pray for our time together tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you, God. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for this, uh, this opportunity to come together with um, the next generation of your church. God, a group of individuals that could be doing anything else in the world right now, and yet they are here in your church, singing songs to you, worshiping you, and trying to learn more about you. So I pray tonight, God, as we talk about righteousness, as we talk about the standard that you have set for this world, I pray that this message will fall on soft and open hearts. And God, that anything is from me, anything that is from me, anything that you don't want these people to hear, I pray that it falls flat to the floor and that no ears hear it. God, that you would be glorified in this space tonight. And we're thankful most of all for your son, Jesus, and what he did on the cross. And everybody said?
old word. Like, it, it's legitimately one of the oldest words we have. Honestly, no one outside of the church really says righteous. I think in the 90s, it tried to make, like, a little um, blurb on the scene, and, like, surfers would say, like, oh, those waves are righteous or whatever. But, like, thank God it didn't stick around. Like, it is not, um, it is not that great of a word to use outside of the church. You can even look at, like, when you Google certain words, um, Google will even show you charts of, like, how old or how, how that word is really used in the English language. So in this next slide right here, we have, okay, the next slide, yeah. So we have this, the word righteous, right? And this graph over here is the 1700s, the 1750s. And so you see like righteous and righteousness was this word that we used all the time. Now this coincides with when the printing press was, was uh, made in the 1500s. So like a Bibles are being printed for the first time and, and Christian literature. And so righteous and righteousness is a word that was used a lot. But as you go down into the 1900s and the 1950s and, and then 2000s, like we keep using this word less and less and less. And so this is a word that even most Christians are just like, well, I don't know, like it's in the Bible and I, I believe that's in the Bible, but really what does it mean? Now, we could crack open a dictionary, and it would probably have a definition like it has to do with behavior modification or like morality or moral uprightness, and that's an that's a okay definition. But we're talking about this word in, in the sense of Scripture and how God, wanted it to, how God wanted it to be used. And so most biblical scholars, the men and women that can understand the Hebrew and the Greek, which is the original languages the Bible is written, most biblical scholars will say that righteousness is the standard that God would have us live by. And a very simple definition of that for our sake tonight is righteousness is God's standard. Righteousness is God's standard. This is the definition that we see in Scripture when we see the word righteous or righteousness. And so when we see it, it's usually talking about whether or not men or women of the Bible or whether or not we are living up to that standard. That's what righteousness means. It is the standard that God has set. He is the ultimate setter of standards. He is the gold standard. He has set the bar as high as it can possibly go. And it is our decision as believers whether or not we will strive after that standard. So I need a bit of help for this, um, some examples of some standards that are set. So um, Christian, right? Um, you play football. What position? Okay, so this is Christian, and he plays running back for the New Mexico State Arizona Bowl champion Aggies. Y'all can say, hey, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Christian, in the NFL, in your, in your humble opinion, who is the standard for running backs in the NFL right now? Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell. Anybody disagree? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Christian will hurt you if you do. Yeah, you know, that's good. That's, that's absolutely right. Um, that's, that's a good standard setter. Josh plays quarterback for the Aggies. So um, in your humble opinion, this for quarterback in the NFL. Oh, my gosh. Tom Brady, he said. <laughs> Man, this is a church building, dude. You got to be careful. Um, Tom Brady. Okay. Standard. He sets a standard. Both players are winners. Both players are hard workers. That's why they are getting mentioned as the, as the people who set the standard. Here's another example for me. Um, have you all ever heard of the workout DVD, uh, Insanity? Yeah, okay. Have any of you tried, have you already tried it? Anybody make it through all eight weeks? Oh, yeah? Okay. Check the abs here in a minute. Um, why do you all think of the nine of the 12 DVDs that, that uh, I don't know if that's the right number, but of, of the majority of the DVDs that Sean T. puts out, why do you think he works out without a shirt on? 
because the dude is yoked. Like, he is, he's absolutely yoked. He's a linebacker up top. He's got the surfer six-pack. Like, the dude has it all. Like, he is, he's, I don't care how manly you are. I don't care how tough you are. Every single dude in the room, if we took off our shirt and that's what we looked at, we'd be like, yeah, okay. And the women in the room, I, don't, I can't ask your opinion because we're at church. And so... <laughs> And so this dude has worked so hard. He's worked so hard on his physique and on making his body um, what makes him famous. And he is like a, he's like a standard for, for fitness in our country. Him and some guys from CrossFit Games and some professional athletes like, like uh, Christian and Josh said. So like there's different standards that we have. Sean T was one for me because he was the guy that was yelling at me at 6 a.m. every morning last summer when I was trying to get ready for my Mexican vacation. And so, and so Sean T was a standard. And so when I'm working out and I'm looking, at, I'm looking at his abs, I'm just like, yeah, okay, like you might be arrogant and you might be telling me that I can get abs like that, but like, I don't know, but you got the shirt off and it's, it seems like it's working. So I, so I tried to follow his standard. Now, did I end up looking like Sean T? Only a few of you in the room will really know the answer to that, but uh, I'll tell you like, no, not quite, not quite. Um, first I had, I could only work out five days a week. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do the whole length of the program. Secondly, he had some supplements that they um, recommended that you take. I couldn't afford all the supplements, so I didn't do all the supplements that he said to take. And then the diet, although I was eating good, I wasn't eating a diet that would make a 225-pound man like that keep muscle on himself. So I wasn't doing the diet exactly like Shanti said to do it. Long story short, I didn't meet the standards. I didn't meet the standards. I, I, I wasn't really looking like a linebacker. I was more looking like a like a really toned professional golfer. Like, that's what I said. Like, I think, I think that's what I, like, ended my... I think that's what I would say. I was like, yeah, like, I look good on the PGA Tour right now. Like, that's about, that's about where I landed because I missed the standard. And even though this is kind of like a lame, funny example, this is exactly what's going on between God and man. Right now, right in this place in history, right in this second, um, we, the standard has been set. God has set the gold standard for what human, um, human life should look like, for what get perfect. We cannot get it perfect. So enter the cross, enter Jesus, enter grace, enter the reason why we need to be um, saved. Like, we cannot reach this standard perfectly. However, the sermon title for tonight is The Pursuit of Righteousness, because even though we're never going to get it perfect, the call of the Christian is to at least pursue this standard. It's to at least to pursue the standard. So the question we have to ask ourselves tonight is, am I at least trying to pursue this standard? Am I at least trying to pursue righteousness? Am I making conscious decisions to follow the things that I know about God? I know we don't know everything in here, but we know a lot. Am I conscious of these things when I'm trying to follow the Lord? Now, here's where we're going to start treading on waters where I, I can just see, well, I can't really see your eyes because it's dark, but I know there's eyes rolling right now. Because this is the part of the sermon, typically, when we're talking about righteousness, where the pastor is going to start saying things like, uh, I can't have sex outside of marriage. Like, we have to re reach this level of righteousness, right? We our behavior has to match up with what God wants our behavior to be. That's the wrong lens. That's the wrong lens to look at righteousness through. Because tonight is not a conversation about changing our behavior. Tonight is a conversation and a, and a word study and a character study about showing that God's standard, God's righteousness is for your good. God's standard, the way he wants us to live our lives is for your benefit. It's for my benefit. Meaning the best possible life that we can live, the most full version of yourself, 
The best version of who you are comes from trying to hit God's standards. It has very little to do with what he's taking away, and it has a lot to do with what he adds when we try to hit these standards, and Scripture backs that up. And so tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. This is the gospel of Matthew, which means it's the life of Jesus. It's how he changed the world, and you can read about that in the gospel. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's the important verse for tonight. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his standard for living and all these things. I mean, a lot of you have heard this passage before, and I've preached on this passage. I preached on this passage last year in regards to a sermon I did on anxiety. And we look at this and like, yeah, it it tackles the question of anxiety, anxiety. But more than that, it points us back to God's standard. It points us back to the way that God wants us to live life. This is Jesus preaching the sermon right here, and he's talking about clothes, and he's talking about food, and he's talking about us wanting to be people of status, like all things that us as human beings in the human condition, like we want these things. We want some of these things, and Jesus knows that. But look at this promise at the end of the message. Look at this promise. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be promise. When you guys are going through your Bibles, when, when, you're, um, when, you, when you have your Bibles out and your journals out, like you, when you see promises in Scripture, highlight them, underline them, mark them down in your journal. Like These are promises that God has made us, and this is an amazing promise right here. Here Jesus is saying, if you seek my kingdom first, if the kingdom of me will die, and if you seek the kingdom of Jesus first, I will add these things to you. If you try to seek my standards for living, my righteousness, these things will be added to you. God is interested in adding things to our life. And time and time again, our generation, when we think about following Jesus, when we think about the steps that we're going to have to make tonight when we walk out of this building, or tomorrow morning when we walk back onto campus, or the type of people we're going to engage with romantically or whatever, we start thinking about the things we have to do. We think about the things we have to give up. If we're going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up these certain things. That's where our mind goes. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying, if you live up to my standard, these things will be added to you. Your life will benefit from doing things the way that I said to do them. Verse after verse in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, like Jesus himself is proclaiming, I want to benefit you. The things that are going to add are going to be so good. That's what Jesus said in the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, there were promises from God that he was going to bless those who pursued his standard. Isaiah 61.3 says, they, the believers, may be called oaks of righteousness, oaks, like strong, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Psalms 1.3 says this, he who follows the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. 
and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And here, here the writers of the Old Testament even, hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus, they're saying like, if you dedicate your life to trying to hit these standards that God has for us, it will add things to you. It will make you strong. It will make you rooted in the faith. This imagery that's being painted for us is imagery of trees, and not just any trees, but oak trees that have roots that run really deep in the ground, right by a stream of water so it's well-watered, so it's nourished, so it's lush, so it's green, so it won't be shaken by storms. And like our goal, the reason why we come in here every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning and the reason why we go to a retreat and small group and some of these things is that we want to get our faith to this place where people would look at us and they would say... I don't know what it is, but there is something about that guy's faith. Like, he is so strong in the faith. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but, like, I, I want to be like that. Or I don't know what that girl has, but, like, it's always good coming from her. Like, goodness is always coming from her. She doesn't have drama. She doesn't have bad relationships. Like, she doesn't have, she's not always upset about the things she can't control. Like, there's so much goodness, like, good fruit coming from her life. Like, that's the goal. That's why we're in this place. That's why we follow Jesus, because he set this standard for us to live this really full life. He set this standard. And to get to this point in our faith journey, not going to. But again, Jesus and the promise that he's giving us says, you have to give up some of these average things to get the really, really good stuff that I have promised for you. Like, when you really fall in love with the Lord, when it really starts making sense to you, you have a purpose that your life in this world matters for far more than you ever thought it did. You feel loved like you've never been felt before. You have peace, you have patience, you have sympathy for a broken world. Like it makes you a better person when you start to follow the Lord because you can see brokenness, but also you can see that that you believe in a God that has hope and that is gonna restore things and it makes you a more hopeful person. Makes you more well-rounded. And when we start shifting our worship and we start shifting our standards to who got this sooner, why didn't I just sell out for the Lord sooner? And if that's not the case, then walk away. And I know how harsh that sounds. I know that sounds harsh, but hear me out. I told you guys last semester, I listened to that guy, Dave Ramsey, the Christian financial coach, right? I listened to him, and, he, and people call into his podcast. 12 million people listen every day. People call into his podcast, and they say, Dave, I'm $100,000 in debt. I need some help. What do I do? And Dave lines out this plan. For the next two years, you're going to eat like this. You're going to save money like this. You're going to cut up these credit cards, and it's going to be really, really hard, and you're going to get out of debt. And at the end of it all, if you don't like being out of debt, if you don't like financial security, if you don't like having extra piles of money laying around, then go get back in debt. Go get 20 more credit cards and go get five car loans and go buy a house you can't afford. That's what he says. He says, he says if, it's, if you like being in debt, then go back. And that's the option we have. Like That, that is exactly the, the choice that we've been given in this pursuit of righteousness. Like For once in our lives, let's sell out to who Jesus is. For once in our lives, let's sell out and let's try this and let's try to hit the standard of righteousness that he has. And if we don't like being strong and if we don't like being courageous and joy and love and kindness, if we don't like that stuff, then we can go back. But that's the thing about Jesus. And that's the thing about the promises that he has is that these are going to benefit us greatly. But how many of us in the room are actually giving Jesus and trying to hit his standards a fair shot? How many?
I'm sorry to go back to the Shanti or the workout example or whatever, but um, it's a pretty perfect example for this because when you start a workout plan, if you've ever worked out with a trainer, you sit down with the trainer and, and he, gives, he or she gives you a, a, they give you a workout plan and they'll work out with you sometimes. And they give you a diet plan and they tell you about what days you should take rest and they tell you about the supplements you should do and they tell you about all these things that you have to do on your own. Now you work out with that trainer at most, if you have deep pockets, you work out with them five times a week. One hour workouts, right? That leaves you 168 hours the rest of the week to do it on your own. 168 hours for the rest of the week to do it on your own where you're not with the trainer for those five hours. And like, you can post a picture every single time you go in to work out with the trainer. You can post a picture. Every single time you go into the gym, you can put it up on Snapchat or your Instagram story. You can do whatever you want. But if the other 23 hours of the day are spent trashing our bodies, not taking care of yourself, drinking Dr. Pepper, putting it straight in an IV in your system. Like if, like if that's what we do with the next 23 hours, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As for us, as a faith community, we spend about two hours a week in this building, in our gym. If we go to small groups, another hour. Three hours a week max in our gym, right, where we're trying to get stronger, we're trying to grow in the Lord. If the standards that God has, if the standards of righteousness that God has for us aren't something that matters to us the rest of the week, then what are we doing? I mean, we can come in here and we can sing worship songs and we can, and, and we can pray, and we can, if you do. Um, but if we leave these doors and we don't try to live up to God's standards, our results are going to be minimal. Our results are going to be minimal, and that's the thing. Like, God doesn't want minimal for you. He doesn't want minimal for you. Paul, the author of Ephesians, he says what God wants to do is he wants to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Next slide, Krista. Thanks. <laughs> to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's what God wants to do. Not minimal, but more than you can even think, more than you can comprehend in your brain righteousness. His standard is a high standard for living. But I personally am extremely grateful that I follow a God that wants more than the minimal for me. I follow a God that wants to push me to be the most full, abundant version of myself that I can be. And I hope that's what you know that God wants for you as well. It's what he wants. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you, God, and we're thankful for who you are, and we're thankful for what you're doing um, within this ministry, and we're thankful for scriptures that point, that point us to your standards, God. And it seems incredibly difficult sometimes when we read all the things in scripture, all the things you've laid out about how we're supposed to live our lives, it seems difficult. But God, I pray for this group right now. I pray for Aggies for Christ right now, and I pray for all the other Christian groups at New Mexico State right now, that we would be a people with fortitude and with a desire to follow you and to know you and to hit that standard, God, because you want to add things to our lives. You don't want to take away, you don't want to take away the fun stuff. You don't want to take away the stuff that, that we enjoy. God, you want to add things to us, and I pray that that is the mes message that just rings in our heart, that the gospel that we gain, and that's peace and purpose and passion on this earth, but that's also eternity with you. So, God, I pray tonight for every single soul in this room 
Now, if there's anybody here that is ready to um, start living towards that standard, start trying to pursue you, that that would happen tonight. Lord, in your son's most holy name I pray. Amen. Hey, as the, uh, as the praise team gets settled back in today, I